You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. All right. Good morning. Let me get all situated up here. A lot of you walk in your house and you throw out your keys and your wallet. I walk up up here and I have to throw out everything, get it all where it needs to go. So perfect songs for the sermon this morning. I'm very grateful. Uh, prepared my heart, at least, and I trust it, it did yours as well. It's really neat. David doesn't know the, the sermon. I mean, he, he knows the, the scripture, I mean, weeks in advance, but not the sermon. And he picks the songs weeks in advance, and they just go right into what we're talking about. So very grateful for that. A couple of prayer requests I want to mention to you as we begin. First of all, pray for Pastor Brad and Allison. They are in New York City. All is well. Uh, they're up there, I'm sure, visiting family. And uh, it wasn't any kind of punishment or anything. You have to go to New York City. Um, Allison is from Australia. She's at the embassy, I think, getting her passport renewed and stuff like that. So anyway, that's where they are. Pray for them. Safe travels. Many of you have been praying for Jim Acock, uh, our dear uh, brother in the Lord, of whom I respect greatly. Uh, You've been praying for him this week. He is home uh, still, has a long ways to go. Miss Joy was telling me this morning. So continue praying for Mr. Acock as he's recovering at home. For the Calverts, many of you saw in Faith Life this week as well, uh, a, a rattle uh, was brought to them in that uh, Rosie, they found out their, their little girl has type 1 diabetes. She's about to turn 3. So many of you have been praying for them as well as they adjust. They got out of hospital, I guess Friday, maybe it was Saturday. David just walked out, but um, continue praying for the Calvert family. There are many other requests. I could keep going. Um, this is an opportunity for me to encourage you to log into Faith Life. If you don't know what Faith Life is or how to get on Faith Life, then you can go to that Next Steps table after church, and then Jeff will be happy to show you. I'll be happy to show you as well how you can get on Faith Life and learn about all these prayer requests and these announcements and such. A lot of new babies born. Over this last month, we've had at least three babies. That come to my mind right now. There's probably more if I if I think longer and harder. Uh, so thank God for the, the the new ones who are coming into into our world, who get to be a part of our church, who get to know the Lord, who get to go to heaven one day, Lord willing. Um, so anyway, welcome. I don't know if I told you my name. My name is Ricky. I am not the pastor. Brad is. He's in New York. You know that by now. But Brad, I'm grateful he invited me a while back to preach through this series with him through the book of Titus. And uh, we are in Titus this morning. Our text is going to be chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. And uh, we're going to finish up Titus in in just a few weeks. So next week, I'm going to be preaching again, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And then Pastor Brad will teach our final message in the book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 8, through the remaining uh, verses. Now, that's always subject to change, but that's the plan. So you can scribble it down in pencil if if you want to. But if you recall the book of Titus, it's a letter, actually. It's a letter written from the Apostle Paul, written to Titus. And apparently Paul, he had gone through the island of Crete, and he had preached the gospel of Jesus, and many people came to know the Lord. So Paul says, Titus, you need to stay here and establish churches for these new converts. So Paul has written this letter to give Titus direction and how to protect the teaching of the churches through the leadership of the churches, so that believers will live godly lives. Essentially, sound doctrine for godly living. Through the church, Titus, get to it. The last seven verses of chapter 1, if you look at them, you'll see that wrong teaching leads to wrong 
behavior. It's pretty clear. I mean, in Crete, there were a lot of different groups of people. Just like in Andrew, there are a lot of different groups of people. In Grace Community Church at the 9 o'clock service, there are a lot of different groups of people. We have old, we have young, we have male, we have female. We can be grouped in so many different ways. But no matter how many groups of people you have, they all fall under one of two umbrellas for all of humanity have fallen under two umbrellas, either under the umbrella of God's kingdom or under the umbrella of man's kingdom. Everyone, they either are under the rule of God or they are under the rule of man. You see, both kingdoms have their own teaching, their doctrines. Both kingdoms also have their own goals to glorify God in his ways or to glorify man in his ways. Not much has changed from Crete almost 2,000 years ago to today in Andrew 2021. You either fall under one of two umbrellas. You are under God's kingdom and his rule, or you are under man's kingdom, and you live for the glory of yourself. You see, there are many people, though, who say they're under God's rule, yet they don't live for God. Paul, he points out these people. He calls them out. Chapter 1, verse 16, he says this, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Man, Paul, he didn't pull any punches. He called it like he saw it. Paul knows that how we live, it proves the message that we believe. How we live, it proves the message that we believe. And Paul, he's telling Titus, he's saying, Titus, it's important that those who are under God's rule, that they live godly lives. Paul saying, Titus, the new converts in Crete, they need to know that how they live, it really matters. It does matter. Your decisions matter. Your reputation matters. Therefore, the teaching that you receive, it matters because we know that wrong teaching will lead to wrong living, but right teaching, it enables right living. Paul saying, Titus, I want you to make sure that there are leaders in place who can protect the teaching the right doctrine so that people can live godly lives. What does it look like? Well, Paul then goes on to say, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we looked at last week, kind of lays out for us what a godly life looks like for all different groups of people. So pop quiz, papers, pens out. Just kidding. You can keep your answers in your mind. Think silently as we look down at chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. How'd you do since we went over these verses last Sunday? Older men, how'd you do? Were you dignified and mature this week? Don't answer wives for the older men. Likewise, for the men. How about uh, older women? Were you reverent? And did you teach any younger women this week? How about young guys? Were you self-controlled this week? Younger women, were you good wives? And were you good mothers this week? Employees, did did you work hard For your boss, were you honest in all of your dealings? Did did all of us in here, did everyone this week just renounce ungodliness? And did you live your most disciplined, righteous life this past week? Don't let your answers be known. I won't let you know mine. I will. I did not get 100%. And I doubt any of you, if you're honest, got 100%. Well, here's here's my point here. My point is this. Yes, our behavior matters. Clearly, you can't read the letter of Titus and not realize that our behavior matters. But we first need to know that right behavior, that's not the goal of the gospel. What is the goal of the gospel is the teaching that the good news, the good news is this, that God saves sinners. God saves sinners. 
that's you, that's me, by regenerating their hearts and moving them from under the umbrella of man's rule to under the umbrella of God's rule. That is the goal of the gospel. Whenever I teach my kids to do something that's unnatural to them, I get nowhere whenever I just give them instructions. For example, yesterday, a few of us were at the black and black versus orange match at Campbell. We saw three of our guys, Troy, Levi, Caleb, whip up on some boys. They wouldn't want me to say they whipped up on boys, but they won their matches. I'll say they whipped up on boys. They won their matches, and we were watching them, and out in front of the gym there, there's this big camel. You may have seen it at Campbell University, and my kids were crawling all over the camel. I don't know if that's legal, but other people were doing it, and I probably shouldn't teach them that. If other people are doing it, you can do it, but they were climbing on this camel, and my daughter Ellis, she's up on the camel's back, which is pretty tall if you've seen it. She's stuck. Of course. So I'm like, you know, I go over there and I'm like, all right, just, just slide off on my back from her back, from the camel's back. I got, slide down onto my back. I got it. And she's like, oh, no, daddy, I don't know. I'm like, I got it. You know, come on. And uh, she, she was freaking out. She knew she needed to get from the camel's back to my back if she can't figure it out. But the instructions, well, they were against everything that was natural to her. Slide off a camel's back onto my daddy's back, who's not very strong down there. But I had to say, Ellis, Ellis, Trust me. Trust me. And once she heard that, and once she trusted me, she followed my instructions, and she slid down from the camel's back onto my back. I let her down. I was strong enough after all. I say this to to emphasize that while the book of Titus, it clearly addresses the importance of godly living. It tells us what to do. It tells us what it looks like. It's important that we know that the people, though, that Titus was written to, well, they had received the sound doctrine. Titus was teaching it. They had received the good news of the gospel. Paul had come through and taught it. You see, they had trusted in Jesus. So I don't want you to go through Titus, and I don't want you to hear the message of Titus and think, okay, well, how we live, that's all that matters. No. So up front, from the beginning, I want you to know that you must trust first the message and the one the message reveals Jesus, believing in right teaching, trusting in the one from whom it's coming, then enables you to live godly lives. Believing in Jesus enables you to live for Jesus. Remember Titus dealing with new converts, those who have trusted Christ. They had received, they had believed in the message of Jesus. And now Paul says, Titus, make sure that those who have trusted in Jesus that they live for Jesus until they are with Jesus. That's what Paul wants them to know. All Cretans who are living for Jesus, who have received Jesus, now live for Jesus until you are with Jesus. And Paul knows that they need to know. In order to do this, they need to know that the one who saved them will also train them. He will sustain them, and he will seal them. And that's the point of our message today that I want you to know. From Paul to Titus to us and Andrew today, the one who saves us also trains us. He sustains us and he seals us. Living a godly life is a tall order. Ellis, just slide off the camel's back onto my back. That's a, that's a tall order. Living a godly life is a tall order. Look at just chapter 2, 1 through 10. I don't know how well we did when we had our pop quiz a little bit ago. So how in the world are we to live for Jesus until we are with Jesus? 
Those who were hearing this letter read with Titus in Crete almost 2,000 years ago, the old men, the old women, the young men, the young women, the slaves, they're all just beginning to be Christians. And then they hear about they are to live godly lives, and they must be asking the question, how can I live this godly life? And some of you in here this morning may be asking the same question, how can I live this godly life? I've received Jesus, but how can, I, how can I really live for Jesus until Jesus returns? Paul knew we'd be asking, too. And his answer to us is in our text, grace and glory, Jesus. The one who saved you will train you, sustain you, and seals you. Grace and glory, Jesus. Well, now to our text Chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. As is our custom at grace, I'm going to ask you to stand. So go ahead and stand, flip open, and then hear the word of the Lord as it's being read. It's going to be on the screen as well. From the book of Titus, chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. As Pastor Brad says, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right, you may be seated. Speaking of Pastor Brad, he loves the North Carolina State Fair. I, too, love the North Carolina State Fair. And i got to say, my love for the North Carolina State Fair is influenced by Brad's love for the North Carolina State Fair. And one of Brad's rules is the day after the State Fair pulls out of town, which will be tomorrow, today's the last day of the fair, that's when he starts listening to Christmas music. And I am on board. I am all with Brad on that. I love Christmas music. If it comes on throughout the year and it's on shuffle, I let it ride. I love, love Christmas music. I've already gone through a carton of eggnog this month, if I must be honest. I've already taken my kids to Hobby Lobby to just look at Christmas decorations. I've already received two Christmas lists from my kids. We love Christmas. If uh, April would give me the nod, I would have the tree up on November 1st. Uh, But she's not going to be giving me the nod on that. For many of you, Christmas too is your favorite holiday. Maybe it's Easter. For all Christians, usually, typically, our favorite holidays are either and or Christmas or Easter. So whether your favorite holiday is Christmas or Easter, I have great news for you today because this sermon is both a Christmas sermon as well as an Easter sermon. So there you go. This is for you no matter what. Paul knew that the Cretans are going to be asking Titus how they could live this godly life as Paul describes. So your Christmas sermon, Easter sermon, is going to answer that question. Here it is, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Merry Christmas. Happy Easter. This is my argument, 2.11, of why there should be eggnog and Cadbury eggs year-round, because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The grace of God has appeared. So what, what is the grace of God? Well, the grace of God is this. The grace of God is the gift of salvation that you and I did not earn, 
nor could you or I do enough to earn it. You see, God is holy, and therefore, since God is holy, he cannot let sin exist. If so, then he would cease to be holy. Instead, God has to let his wrath be poured out on those who reject his rule and who live for their own glory. So, out of God's love for us, he made a way for sinful man to be in his presence. This is the grace of God. And the grace of God came to us in a person, the work of Jesus. God sent his son, Jesus, to live the perfect life that you nor I could live, to die under the wrath of God that you and I should die. And then Jesus rose from the grave on the third day, defeating death and rising victoriously from the grave. How can we sum up this glorious news that we both celebrate at Christmas and Easter? One word, Paul says, grace. The grace of God has appeared, and the grace of God saves. The grace of God saves. Who's it for? Who is the grace of God for? Paul makes it clear. The grace of God, it is for all people. Now, Paul didn't all of a sudden become a universalist. I mean, this is clear even through teachings in Titus, much less the whole New Testament or even the Bible. Uh, no, what Paul is saying here is that the grace of God is for all who will receive the good news of Jesus and who will believe in his life, death, and resurrection in their place. I mean, even the, the previous 10 verses of chapter 2, we see a sampling of the different types of people. God's grace is for all people, <laughs> young, old, male, female, slave, free. God's grace, it is for all people. It is available to them all. I love the diversity in the Bible. When you read the Bible, you see all nations, all ages, all vocations, all times. They are one people sharing in one future because of one Savior, Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. It's God's grace. And it has appeared. So how can you live a godly life? Paul says the grace of God has appeared. All we must do is open up our empty hands of need and receive the salvation that God gives for all people, even you. Grace has appeared and it saves. Verse 12 training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I'll, I'll never forget when I graduated high school, still living in Alabama, I got a, I got a job on a, on, a, on a farm. And uh, my job on this farm, I was the, I was the, the only guy, I, 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 I like cleared fence lines, I kept up with the barns, I, I fed the horses, just did all that type stuff. And it was an incredible job. One of the necessary tools of the job was this large Kubota tractor. I, I needed the tractor to do the tools on the job. Well, the first day I was hired to do this job, the tractor was there. I needed a tractor, but I didn't know how to drive the tractor. The man of whom the tractor belonged and the farm belonged, he said, well, I'll show you how to drive the tractor. We hopped on it. We went for a ride, and, and that was that. I had been trained to drive the tractor. And this man, he had been important in my life for many years. He had taught me many things. The same man during this period of time especially, he taught me how to, how to think, to learn to think critically so that I could repair broken things because the, the strands could tell you, uh, Mr. Donnie could tell you, things break on farms. There's always a chainsaw that was breaking, a section of fence that was broken. There's always a tire to be changed. There's always something that has to be repaired. 
He trained me so that I would know what to do for what was ahead. The grace of God, I didn't appear and save you just to leave you to figure it out. That's not what God does. The grace of God not only saves us, the grace of God also trains us. After being saved, you know that you need to live a godly life. When I was hired for that job, I knew I needed to get the work done, and I knew I needed to drive the tractor. When you are saved, you know you need to live a godly life. You know what it looks like, but you might not know how to do it. Well, the grace of God has shown us in Jesus through his word what a godly life looks like. For starters, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And the grace of God enables us through the Holy Spirit to say no to an ungodly life and to say yes to living an upright, self-disciplined, godly life. Even though I'd been trained, I'd been taught how to fix this, how to drive this, how to do this, I still made mistakes and did dumb things at the farm. For example, I bought a a 1986 Datsun truck, a little Nissan truck, and I drove it over to the farm, and I was showing the guy who hired me my new little truck. It was a tiny little thing, and I I pulled up the seat, and look what I found, but a bunch of old bottle rockets. And a teenage guy with a bunch of bottle rockets, it's going to be fun and not good. And I I grabbed a lighter. I always had a lighter. I didn't smoke. I just had a lighter. That's what you did. And I I lit the bottle rocket, and I did also something else we always did. I threw it up in the air, because you just don't know where it's going to go, and it's fun, you know? And uh, as soon as I threw it up in the air, that bottle rocket shot off, and it went right into the barn where I just spent the day stacking square bales of hay. I made mistakes, and there were consequences for my mistakes. That barn burned to the ground. I'm just kidding. It didn't burn. (laughs) But I had to sit in that barn all night, all night, because I didn't know where the bottle rocket went, but it went somewhere in that stack of hay, and I had to make sure it wasn't going to catch on fire and burn down, but I didn't lose my job. The owner loved me. He'd never let me go for that. He'd never let me go for anything. There was grace. I should have known better. I did know better, and I learned. It was part of my training. Grace continued. For us, perfection, it's not possible. I'd say neither is it expected. And that's why grace has saved. But grace also trains, enabling us to say no to ungodliness, to say no to worldly passions, to live upright, self-controlled, godly lives. Training brings about enablement as well as an expectation for a godly life so that others too can know such grace, a grace that saves and a grace that trains. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to notice something looking at your Bibles. I don't have it on the screen. Verse 11, if you glance back at it, verse 11 is in the past. If you look at verse 12, verse 12 is our present. It's where we are now. Verse 13, it's our future. Verse 11, the grace of God, it came to save us. Verse 12, the grace of God trains us to live for him today. In verse 13, God's glorious return is our hope for tomorrow. Right now, where we're existing in verse 12, we're in between the appearance of the grace of God and the coming appearance, the appearing of the glory of God that is to come. Charles Spurgeon, he said this, we are compassed about behind and before with the appearings of our Lord. Behind us is our trust, and before us is our hope. 
Behind us is the Son of God in humiliation, and before us is the great God, our Savior, in his glory. Close quote. Jesus has appeared in grace, and Jesus will appear in glory. How can we who have received Jesus, though right now live for Jesus, until, verse 13, he appears in glory? By receiving salvation through the grace of God, by being trained by the grace of God, it's setting our hope in the future on the glory of God, his shortcoming. I planted this past week my bare backyard with fescue grass seed. So I'm, I'm watering it twice a day. It's what you got to do. And to my kids, it looks like I'm just watering dirt. Biggest waste of time. I'm dragging the hoses around. I'm, I'm, I'm putting the sprinklers out. I'm getting it right because I know that grass is coming. While the appearing of the glory of God, it's not dependent on me like my fescue is dependent on me watering it. But our confidence in what is to come that does affect our actions and what we do now. It affects our efforts. It affects our motivations. The coming of the glory of God, it is something that we can be certain of. So certain that you right now, in verse 12, in the present, you can set your hope on it. Verse 13, for what's to come in the future. And that hope sustains us. Hope sustains us. We water by striving in God's grace, and we wait with hope for what only God can and for what only God will, for what God will bring about, the coming glory of God. That's our hope, and that's what sustains us. Now, something I should point out, uh, just as the grace of God, the grace of God our Father was visible in the appearing of Jesus, the glory of God our Father will be the visible appearing of Jesus. Moses, as we know from the Old Testament, his face was hidden from the glory of God. But when Jesus appears, and he will appear, you can bank on it. His glory, the glory of God, it will be on display. I want you to imagine what that's going to be like. What we now imagine, we will one day see the glory of God. That's something you can put your hope in. That's something you can bank on. You can put your hope in that truth, that the glory of God will appear. I grew up singing in a, a I grew up going to a Beulah Land singing church. If you know the song Beulah Land, then you probably know what I mean. And on Sunday night, we had Sunday night church, and we'd get together. The pastor would have his tie off, but he, he might even take his coat off. And he would lead us in song, the song leader, or he would too, and we would all sing, Beulah Land, I'm longing for you. And someday on thee I'll stand. There my home shall be eternal. Beulah Land, sweet Beulah Land. I was ready to go. And then Monday morning came, and I would be sitting in math class, which was in a trailer right next to the train tracks, and I'd hear that morning train whistle blow, and I'd mistake it for the trumpet of God, and I'd begin listening for the voice of the archangel to see if the dead in Christ were rising and to find out if I then would follow. I was scared to death. No longer was I ready for Beulah Land. I feared the return of God, but I knew it was coming. His glory 
It will give his people a hope that will sustain, but it will give those who are not trusting in the grace of God a great fear that will haunt them. If you're here this morning, then I want you to hear the words. If the return of God, you know it will happen, but you fear the day. I want you to be comforted by verse 14. It says this, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Are you afraid of Jesus' return? Maybe you say, Ricky, you just don't know what I've done. Maybe some of you would say, well, Ricky, you just don't know how little I've done. I want you to hear the good news that Jesus gave himself to redeem you from lawlessness. If you will just open up your empty hands of need, and if you will receive the grace of God, Jesus isn't just saying that he will overlook what you've done. Jesus isn't just saying he'll fudge the numbers to make up for what you haven't done. No, Jesus is saying, I will redeem you. And if you are redeemed, then your debt has been paid. You see, your punishment, it's already been dealt because Jesus took your sin and then you receive his reward. Therefore, your life is no longer your own, but you are now his, and you get to share in all of his benefits, and you share in his mission. At the cross, your debt was stamped paid. At the resurrection, your future was sealed, and at his glorious return, you will be delivered. Signed, sealed, delivered. You are his. You have nothing you have to fear. He will sustain you. You can live a godly life because the one who sustains you He's also the one who saved you, and he trains you. You're not just free from the punishment of sin. You're also free from the power of sin. Thanks be to God. As adopted children of God, you're paid for by the blood of Jesus, and you find that your closet, it's stocked for with, full with all that you need now to live this new life as children of God. What does this new life look like? For starters, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Growing up, I, I loved the movie Free Willy. If you haven't seen Free, Free Willy, check it out. It's a classic. If you've seen the movie, you know the orphan boy. He's brought to his new home, and he walks in, and he finds a baseball on the pillow, which I thought was great. But then out of anger, he picks up the baseball, and he throws it through the window. I, like, I wouldn't do that, but that's what, what he did. And then he opens up the closet, and he finds his closet. It's stocked full with all that he needs. Every item of clothing was blue. And I relate because when I open up my closet, I realize every item of clothing I have has blue in it. I'm wearing blue. Everything you need is provided for you. Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. If you are a child of God, then there's no need to fear the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because you are being sealed in Christ. That is sure. That is fixed. You can put your hope in that. The truth is, though, I know that there are many, maybe even some in here today, who are not ready for the return of Jesus because they know they have yet to willingly bend their knee to the rule of Jesus. They're still under the umbrella of man's kingdom, not yet being under the umbrella of God's kingdom. 
They haven't willingly bent their knee to Jesus, but the day will come when they will be made to. And at that time, it's going to be too late for them to open up their hands for the grace of God. No, they will have kept their fists closed, holding on all that they could to not lose what this world offered them. Maybe they searched for salvation and the money that they could save. Maybe the votes that they casted. Maybe they just gave it their best shot. Not much has changed from 2,000 years ago in Crete to today. As we began, many profess to know God. But they deny him by their works. How you live matters. They're detestable. They're disobedient. Unfit for any good work. And Paul tells Titus that how Christians live in front of this watching world, it matters so that the watching world can see the grace of God and so they can be ready for the coming, appearing of the glory of God. We are to live godly lives. And finally, verse 15. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Clearly, Clearly, Paul wanted Titus to tell the Cretans who had received Jesus, make sure they know to live for Jesus until they are with Jesus. And this is the message that Titus has for us today. Live for Jesus today. But how can we live for Jesus until he returns? We can live for Jesus because the one who saves us also trains us, sustains us, and seals us. Our motivation isn't what we can do for God. That's not our motivation for godly living. Our motivation for godly living is based on what God has done in his grace and what God will do in his glory. While we strive to live godly lives now, we know that Jesus, who is the glory of God, that Jesus will righteously rule whenever he does return. And we will finally, guys, we will completely be a people who is purified for his own possession. So we can say, with great comfort and great hope, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for saving us. Father, thank you for giving us the hope, the confidence, the assurance of eternal life. Father, I pray that you will comfort those who need to be reminded of your grace and your coming glory. Lord, that you'll challenge those who have rejected your grace. And Lord, who despise your coming glory. Lord, bring them to you. Convict us, comfort us. For your glory and our good, we pray these things. Amen. Would you please stand for the benediction? Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.